if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it, now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, good morning once again. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. When you start your day with us each and every day, it... Uh, it is appreciated more than you know. I really, really appreciate the trust that you place in me to bring you information that you need to know, to bring you analysis, to bring you great interviews, and to bring you a little bit of entertainment mixed in with it all. Uh, that's what we try to do every day. And if you are here every day, seriously, thank you very much for being a part of our program and starting your day here. we got a big one for you today. It is a Thursday. It's the 19th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And coming up on the program, in about a half an hour, we are going to speak with the current chair of the uh, chairperson. I wonder if she would be mad. Probably not because she's conservative. She wouldn't be mad if I said chairman just out of uh, habit for for the position. But uh, we're going to be talking with the current chair of the Cuyahoga County Republican Party, Lisa Sticken. She's going to react and respond to the challenge that has been put forth by Lee Weingart, uh, who is the former Cuyahoga County Republican, or excuse me, Republican Party candidate for Cuyahoga County Executive is a better way to say that. So uh, we talked to uh, Lee yesterday about his uh, reasons for doing this. He's claiming that Lisa is failing the party, that the party under its current leadership in Cuyahoga County is uh, losing elections, it's losing money, It's not uh, doesn't have the donors it used to have, and a whole host of other things on yesterday's program. And I gave Lee an opportunity, and I asked Lee tough questions in response. I said, if you want to lead the Republican Party in this county, you got to tell me why you've donated so much money to Democrats including the Democrats that were running against Republicans in key races, like Tim Ryan, who was running against the Republican J.D. Vance. So we talked about that in in some depth yesterday, Diddley, Weingart, and I. 
And I promised that Lisa Sticken would have her turn today, and she's going to face similar tough questions. Not about donations to Democrats, because I don't believe any of those have happened, but about some of the accusations made by those who are looking for a change at the top, that the party is simply underperforming. We'll find out if she's got a plan to fix that. So that's coming up at 935. Uh, at 1035, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation uh, with John Pudner. Uh, that conversation, I, I don't want to get into too much depth about it at the moment, but we are going to be talking um, with uh, with John Pudner at... It, it, am I skipping somebody? I feel like I'm skipping somebody. Who am I skipping? Oh, Dr. Piper, I, that's why. Dr. Piper is 1010, but Dr. Piper just messaged me this morning and told me that he was not able to join me this morning because he is on the road. Okay, that's why I'm a little bit confused. John Pudner is going to be joining us. He is um, the president of a conservative organization who has uh, some very informa- in, uh, insightful information about Joe Biden's documents, not next to the Corvette in the garage, but the ones found at the Penn Biden Center at the Penn Biden Center, where the first uh, cache of classified documents were found, uh, the Penn Biden Center has long been on the radar of individuals like John Pudner and his organization um, for the ability for uh, foreign actors, potentially bad actors, to have access uh, to that building and thus to those documents. They have been warning about this. There have been 23 uh, posts regarding the event, the defense of election rules to protect voter ID and other election integrity efforts, elections rules, and so on and so forth, all of these having to do with what goes on uh, at the Penn Biden Center. So he is going to join us to talk about um, the quid pro quo and the access that foreign actors have had in the Penn Biden Center, which is exactly where Biden was leaving, again, in very careless fashion, classified documents away. So he's the former executive director of Take Back Our Republic, and um, several of Biden's 2020 presidential campaign senior staff members worked out of that Penn Center, uh, and they have a lot of guests, and they have a lot of people that have had a lot of access, and John and his team have been warning about it for years, and nobody... Watchdogs have been warning about it for years, and nobody has paid attention. Nobody found us found anything odd about that until suddenly classified documents showed up there. So we're going to get the latest on the document scandal uh, coming up with John at 10.35. And at 11.10, Alex Triantafalu. You don't know him, probably. He's Hamilton County. That's Cincinnati, but he's the new uh, Bob Paduchik. And I am only going to hope against hope that he is not another Bob Paduchik. He's the new... Uh, he is the new chair of the Ohio Republican Party. The ORP chose him instead of Brian Williams, instead of a couple of others. And uh, what you don't know about Alex Triantafalu, I don't know either, which is what we're going to find out. We're going to find out what his relationship to Paduchik was, what his um, mission is going to be for the ORP. We're going to find out whether or not he supports audits, things that Paduchik and the past chairman, uh, uh, or chairwoman, I guess I should say, uh, refused to do. Uh, Jane Timken and Bob Paduchik refused to have audits because I think they knew it was going to show some very, very bad stuff that they had been involved in. Been involved in. We'll see if Alex Triantafalu wants to clear the record there, or maybe let's rephrase that: clear the decks there, and uh, get everything on the record so that we can find out exactly. Um, 
what the GOP is doing moving forward. Is there any more corruption? Is there any more money being hidden? Is there any more money being funneled to candidates that have not yet been endorsed by party votes? All of that stuff is on the table. And we'll talk to Alex Triantafalu. So Lisa Sticken, John Pudner, and Alex Triantafalu on state, local, actually goes in this order, local, Calgary County with Lisa Sticken, um, federal, I guess, when we talk about the document scandal with John Pudner, and then statewide with Alex Triantafalu. Now, I want to start not here in the state of Ohio, not locally, nor statewide. I want to go to Atlanta, Georgia. I want to start because well let me let me back up one one space here. I've been telling you for a little bit now. Uh, I just started shooting last week a TV show that is going to be running daily, multiple times a day, on the True Blue factual streaming network. True Blue is a new streaming service that I cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, not just because I'm going to be hosting a show on it, but because it's about cops, it's about law enforcement. It's about true crime stories. It's about taking down predators. It's about examining controversial police issues and some social issues. It's right in my wheelhouse and probably yours as well. And my program is going to be called True Blue Daily. Uh, like I said, we've been shooting it for about a week and a half now. It'll probably launch in the next week or so. Uh, and I want you to download it, and I want you to subscribe to it. Uh, it costs about a cup of, uh, the cost of a cup of coffee per month. It's four ninety nine. It's about a quarter of the cost of Netflix. Uh, so if you get an expensive cup of coffee at one of your local uh, shops, uh, you know you're paying probably five bucks. Well, you're paying five bucks for this for a month. Uh, it's worth it. The reason I do this show, and the reason I have partnered and come on board to do this show and to support this streaming network, um, is because of things like this in Atlanta, Georgia. There was a shooting in Atlanta last night. Um, this shooting involved police, a police officer and a homeless person, a homeless person who was living in a homeless encampment. The homeless encampment was being cleared. It was being cleared, not just to move it because it's, you know, illegal and it's a problem for the residents in the area or the businesses in the area and so on and so forth. It was also being cleared because a number of crimes have been traced back to that encampment. And the police had been routinely going through, moving people out of there, conducting what's called a sweep as an operation to identify people who have been trespassing and committing other crimes uh, from that property. This is according to the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. As the officers were moving through the property and clearing it, officers were... Uh, of course, giving instructions to people that they encountered, telling them that they needed to move, they needed to get out of that space, or whatever the case might be. Well, they located a man inside a tent in that encampment in the woods, in the wooded area along the roadside. Officers gave verbal commands to the man who did not comply and instead shot a Georgia State Patrol trooper who was doing his job. Other law enforcement officers, shocked, returned fire, hitting the man and killing the man. Law enforcement evacuated the trooper to a safe area. The man who shot the officer is dead on the scene. 
The Bureau released a statement saying the injured Georgia State Patrol officer was taken to a hospital where he underwent surgery. A handgun and shell casings were located at the scene. The GBI is working. The officer involved shooting, and the investigation is still active and ongoing. The identities of that officer and the deceased shooter have not yet been released. The officer was hospitalized and in stable condition. Now, why is this particular? Because there's officer-involved shootings all the time, and there are people taking shots at officers ever since the uh, war on cops was taken to a new level by the American left, by Antifa, by BLM, by just the radical American left. Why is this one so important? Here's why this one is so important. Here's why I'm leading my show with this story from Atlanta. Despite the fact that this is an unquestioned case of an officer using not just justifiable lethal force, but self-defense lethal force because he was shot first. The officers who shot back clearly within the bounds of not just the law that, that tells them as peace officers that they can indeed use lethal force to protect themselves or to protect another. They just watched their their state trooper colleague get shot, and they returned fire. And despite that obvious fact, there is a tweet that was posted last night. It's still up on Twitter right now for reasons that I don't understand. And this tweet coming from a Twitter account called Scenes from the Atlanta Forest, is publicly calling for what they are calling a night of rage. This Friday, tomorrow night, they're calling for a night of rage in retaliation for the quote-unquote police officer-involved shooting. The tweet reads, Consider this a call for reciprocal violence to be done to the police and their allies. On Friday, January 20th, wherever you are, you are invited to participate in a night of rage in order to honor the memory of our fallen comrade. End quote. This Twitter account claims to be part of the Defend the Atlanta Forest group, one of multiple groups protesting in an area where the city is set to construct the new Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. And they don't like it. The defenders of the forest said in a statement that they are a broad, diverse, decentralized movement to defend the Atlanta forest. The other tweet posted by the group several hours later said, quote, the police will kill you if given the chance. Now is the time for bravery. Take care of each other. Be dangerous together. End quote. This is a full-on publicized call for the murder of police officers. Not just in Atlanta. Wherever you are, it reads. And this is still up on Elon Musk's Twitter. Something I don't understand. If anything has ever violated Twitter rules, violated the community or uh, community standards and so forth, I would think this would be it. Defend the Atlanta Forest Night of Rage, Friday, January 20th. Make them pay is what the banner that they have up says. A call for reciprocal violence because the police officers shot and killed a homeless man in a tent that they were clearing after that homeless man in the tent shot a police officer. 
who is still not out of the woods, stable, but in a hospital after surgery. He shot the police officer rather than move, got shot and killed, and now they're calling for murdering the police in a night of rage. You want to know why I take the stand that I do in support of cops? You want to know why I am on the air frequently with police officers? Why I'm doing the True Blue factual streaming network? Why I'm doing True Blue Daily? Why I'm going to interview police officers? Why we're going to promote uh, stories like uh, police in the line of fire and so forth? This is why. This is why. And the worst part about it is, as I look in the comments under the tweet, calling for retaliation, calling for the night of rage, calling for violence to be done to the police and their allies, which one would assume their allies would include families. The worst part about it is in looking at the comments under the tweet, I see nothing from the left condemning the words. Nothing saying, don't do this. Nothing saying, this is, this is insane. No, you can't do this. This is not what we stand for. If anything, this is a perfect example of the left's favorite phrase, and that is that silence is violence. Their silence tells me how they feel about it. Their silence, their refusal to condemn the quote-unquote night of rage and the call for the murdering of cops nationwide over this ridiculous situation tells you all you need to know about where the American left stands. That's why I stand with cops. That's why I stand on this program for cops. And that's why I will continue to do so on the television uh, streaming network, True Blue. So I highly recommend uh, that you follow along there. If you've got thoughts on that, we'll be taking calls later at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. But we're going to have our Pledge of Allegiance now. Then we're going to talk to Lisa Sticken after the news about what's going on in Cuyahoga County Republican Party. Patriots, please rise. Put your hand on your heart. Face your flag if you have one. And join us for our pledge. If you are not condemning the story that I just shared, well, then you're one of them. Silence is violence. If you think that what they called for is okay and doesn't require a response, well, then you don't understand that flag anyway. You are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty, and justice for all. 926, we're going to take a time out. We're going to get some news. We're going to come back. We're going to hear from Lisa Stick in Cuyahoga County Republican Party. That's next on AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. All right, 937, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I told you we got local, state, and federal things to talk about today. We're going to start on the local level. Yesterday, I spent um, a good deal of time, about 20 minutes or so, with um, former Cuyahoga County executive candidate, Lee Weingart, who ran as a Republican, had the support of virtually all Republicans, myself included, in that race. Did not work out. Now we find out he and some others would like to take over the leadership of the Republican Party of Cuyahoga County. And uh, that would mean replacing the current chair, Lisa Sticken. This is what uh, Lee Weingart said yesterday. After the election, mm-hmm. uh, a number of members of the Republican Central Committee reached out to me to express their deep disappointment you know, in the results. My loss, Joan Sinnenberg losing, Nan Baker losing, 
uh, us losing everything uh, other than Tom Patton who held on. Uh, and they were very frustrated with the lack of support from the county party. Now, they didn't get a slate card printed in time to be useful for early votes or uh, election day. The victory center they set up was in a distant corner of Cuyahoga County and didn't have power and light uh, for the first two weeks it was open. Uh, and then massive failure to return emails, phone calls asking for yard signs and opportunities to, to uh, volunteer on campaigns. So they wanted uh, to replace uh, Lisa as the chair. That's what uh, Lee Weingart said yesterday, and they chose him to be that person to replace Lisa as the chair. Joining us now is the current chair of the Republican Party of Calgary County to respond to that and respond to some of the allegations that the party is in a bit of disarray. Lisa Sticken, thank you so very much for joining me this morning. How are you? Oh, good morning, Bob. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to address a lot of these uh, issues raised. That's exactly what I want to give you a chance to do. You know, there was a, Thank you. a pretty in-depth Red State article that has been making the rounds. Um, I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. Everybody has right. seen it. Um, and it, 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 you know, in more detail, it kind of says some of the th- same things that you just heard from Lee yesterday. Uh, before right. We get, before we get into the point-by-point or counterpoint that you're going to want to make on those things, how did you feel when you heard that interview yesterday? Well, obviously, it's disappointing to hear from someone that was so supported by the county party. And there's so many things that are not factually accurate in what he's saying. And this isn't personal to me. This is about sending the record of the party, because that's how we improve the party. We need to be honest about what was done in this election cycle and see how we can keep building upon it to have better results. I know some of the candidates he mentioned we worked very closely with, and they were very pleased with the support offered uh, by the county party, particularly the two he mentioned, Nan Baker and Judge Joan Sinnenberg. Uh, they profusely thanked the party. We did things that were innovative with those candidates that hadn't been done before. And, you know, we, we need to clear the record on a lot of the things that just are not true that is being said. I think this election cycle, we did an absentee chase slate card. The first time, listen, you know, Bob, I was an activist. I am a conservative activist for 20 years in the county party. Sure. And uh, as someone who ran campaigns, I, I was I'm a, I'm a handful of people who ran successful campaigns in Cuyahoga County for judicial candidates, which, let me tell you, is no small feat <laughs> in an urban county. Um, so we understand, you know, what the party's there to do to support. We also understand as candidates what we need to do to raise money and get our message out and make sure we get our message to the voters. So it's a partnership we have with the candidates. We provide guidance. You know, we'll provide the slate cards. We'll provide the resources to them. As for the victory program, we could dig right into that. The victory program traditionally is one where state and national will typically partner and provide additional staff to larger counties like Cuyahoga and open victory centers uh, to partner with us. They carry the water particularly for the statewide candidates um, as they don't have individual campaign staff assigned to a place like Cuyahoga County. This did not happen in this cycle. I think it's a consequence of Ohio being viewed as a redder state. And I also think that this fell to the county party. So we wore multiple hats this election cycle, which I'm more than proud to do. I'm someone who wants to roll my sleeves up and help as many candidates as possible with whatever resources we can. Additionally, our staff wore multiple hats, too. When the Victory Center was not open, we opened our own Victory Center. It was located in Broadview Heights, uh, which is fairly central to the county, and was something that we were able to facilitate on short notice when we received word that there wouldn't be a location uh, opened by the Victory Program. 
Uh, Lisa, let me let me better. let me jump in on some of this because I'm going to forget sure. much much of what you said if we keep going like that. Okay. I need to I need to ask no, follow ups sure, to sure. the individual things. First of all, um, why sure. why was the Victory Center moved from downtown in the first place? Well, no, it wasn't moved from downtown. We have a downtown office, okay. but it's on Euclid Avenue, and the problem is it's very difficult to to park, pay to park, walk several blocks. It's not a hub for people to come downtown to just you know. Uh, come to Euclid Avenue, it's not easily accessed by volunteers. We need okay. to be in a location with free parking and easier access. So it was difficult running to offices, but we wanted to make sure we had a place that people could easily pull up and, and get the so, information So Lee, Lee said that it was a remote corner of the county. Um, what's the remote, what remote corner? Wasn't it in Rocky River? No, no, no. It was in Broadview Heights, and it was it was it was fairly off the highway too. I mean, that's what, what we strive. Oh, for. okay. So that's what he's talking. Okay, I, I thought there was something in Rocky River as well. So my apologies for that. So it was in Broadview no, Heights, no and it wasn't super super accessible, at least in terms of right off the highway that you're saying. So, uh, do you think no, that it was. that had? I'm sorry. It was accessible. I mean, it was was fairly fairly accessible for for central of the county. So to say that is not accurate. Additionally, we have moved our offices to Independence to be even more accessible to all corners of the county. We're right on Rockside Road. This is something we did at the end of the year and the beginning of this year. Being accessible to as many Republicans and interested constituents as possible is our goal. And so we are being innovated with our office space in the new year. Do, do you think, though, or did you find that it was less convenient for people who were volunteering uh, and who wanted to, you know, to help with these campaigns to access the Victory Center, the office, if you will, in, in Broadview Heights? Um, and, and also, to his point about not having availability, I will say this. I took phone calls from people on more than one occasion in October uh, leading up to the uh, to the elections in November, and maybe even in September, for, who said, "Bob, can you figure out why we can't get any signs? I want signs. I want to put them up. I want to put them up in my neighborhood. I want to put them up in my yard." Blah blah blah. And I said, "I don't know." I literally remember those phone calls from conservatives who were frustrated they couldn't get signs. That's one of the things Lee pointed to there. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. Sure. As as I told you, we we put double hats on both running the county party and running this victory center. Uh, we actually had multiple pop-up events and volunteers there daily working and stuffing, and they appreciated the fact that they could pull into a place, um, you know, not pay to park, walk right in, it's either day or night. We had we had robust events scheduled, and we had a lot of participants. We even did a debate watch party for J.D. Vance there that was packed, and J.D. Vance himself came after his Cleveland debate to be with the volunteers. So, no, that wasn't the feedback we got. Our volunteers were very pleased. But in terms of having two offices, when we opened the second Victory Center, you know, the Victory Center in Broadview Heights, it was an ability for us to to be able to have people come up, drive in, make appointments, get those signs, you know, have volunteers there working with our staff to facilitate getting literature out, stuffing literature bags, and getting signs out. Um, I know with our phone program, our staff was in the field with the candidates, and that was our commitment. And we did. I did emphasize with staff to make sure they were returning calls and following up with people, which they assured me they did. And we okay. appreciated people's patience in working with us because I think being in the field with the candidates is really our commitment. 
We're talking to Lisa Stick, and she is the chairperson of the Cuyahoga County Republican Party. She's being challenged in that position by Lee Weingart, which is another issue about how that can be done, if it can be done. We'll address in a moment. Uh, first, I want to play another clip of yesterday's interview with Lee so I can get your response to this, because money matters, obviously, when we're running campaigns and running a party. Right. So let's listen to this part. They asked me if I would be interested, and I said I would you know, ask around, and so... I talked to some of the candidates, you know, who had run with me in 2022. They were disenchanted with the party leadership. I talked to many of the donors to my campaign who had been big donors to the party, giving 30, 40, $50,000 to the party, uh, every couple of years. They have all stopped giving, uh, since Lisa became the chairman in 2020. And so there was a consensus that Lisa's not doing a good job, uh, and that she should be replaced and that it should be done now and not with her term ends in a year and three months in May of 2024, because that would be too disruptive in the middle of a presidential campaign. Okay, Lisa Sticken, so what Lee said is that the money is drying up because the big donors who used to donate all the time, who were some of his donors to his campaign, have stopped donating to the party because of your leadership. How do you respond to him? Not accurate at all. As you may remember, Bob, when I came in, it was during the unfortunate pandemic. There literally were no operations or finance committee happening, as there couldn't be. You know, it was impossible to do events at the time. So my commitment when I was elected was to rebuild a finance committee, including repairing relationships that were broken even before I became chairman. And that's something I've been working to do, working with good conservative donors and having good loyal donors that did pay. Because this election cycle... You know, in 2022, we had a 40% increase in our spending on the candidates. What I've done is not taken a salary as we, rebu- as we rebuilt the finance committee. I developed good, strong relationships with some new donors and additionally repaired relationships with old donors. And what we did was we put more spending out in terms of the slate card program, all of the things that we're talking about, a 40% increase from even 2018. I think that's important. And, you know, reducing the cost of vendors and consultants. You know, running as, as Republicans, we, we do more with less, but we also are run an efficient operation. And that's where we prioritize as the candidate and the slate card program. We had one of the most robust slate card programs. We, we chased the absentee ballots. We put that money towards that program. We had, we had seven different kinds of slate cards, including different cards that featured candidate Weingart on the front, one where Governor DeWine endorsed him as well. And, you know, going forward though, see, this is, part of the, the, the path I'm on to build a finance committee, I cannot be more excited about the path we're on. Mike Gibbons, who is so well-known throughout the state, has so, you know, so committed to the Republican and conservative cause, has agreed to chair our finance committee because he has faith in my leadership. Additionally, we have Emily Moreno-Miller, who is also a very seasoned and experienced fundraiser, who's taking over our executive committee and has her Rolodex of contacts, too. So this team that we've put together is going to be unprecedented and take the county party to new levels. Lisa, back to the first clip that I played where Lee said uh, it wasn't his idea that people came to him, people uh, who were concerned with the direction of the party, the fundraising of the party, blah, 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 all the things that, that we've been discussing. Did they ever come to you? Did anybody come to you to say, hey, we're a little concerned 
Um, we need to get. We need to change directions. Doesn't mean change leadership, but come to you and say, "Can we help, or can we do something different or better um, to improve our results?" Because despite everything you're saying right now, one thing is true: uh, it was a poor performance overall um, in in uh, in Cuyahoga County in terms of the elections. Did anybody come to you and give it give you a chance to say, "Well, here's what we're going to do to fix things," before just saying, "You've got to go. We need, we need to find somebody new," and and, and we found Lee. No, and and I think this whole I was recruited, I mean, I know he had uh, staff members from his company out there, you know, soliciting and trying to get support for him, and he himself has been his biggest proponent in this. But, no, I have good relationships with a lot of uh, leaders like, you know, Mike Gibbons, who I mentioned, Ambassador Ed Crawford. You know, I have support from individuals like them. I have support from, obviously, Congressman Max Miller and our Senator J.D. Vance, who are very pleased with what we did for them in Cuyahoga County. I think that's the record I speak of. If you were to okay. ask judicial candidates, we were we were working with them every week, biweekly Zooms, talking to them, talking strategy. Um, you know, if I can respond to the performance issues with urban counties generally and in Cuyahoga, I think this speaks to a larger problem also with the party. We need to be more innovative as Democrats are. I mean, I think that's the story of election night if you look to places like Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and even within Ohio. Um, you may not know this, Bob, but... I am very much committed to fighting the big blue wall in a place like Cuyahoga County. That's my passion. And there's other urban county chairs who join me in that. We have a lot of the same struggles, particularly for down-ticket judicial races. And this is something that we as a group have been talking about. Our new state party chairman, Chairman Trantafilu, he is committed, too, to this discussion on how we can help with these lower-ticket judicial races in urban counties because we're the last sort of blue line that these Democrats have and really pile on. So we do need to be more strategic with how we're messaging to voters. Um, for example, if I'm in a red county, like let's say Ashtabula, how I message to voters, you know, and the voters I get out is different than a county like Cuyahoga, where we have to really start to talk to unaffiliated voters and move the needle. Um, Lisa, I, I know your time is short, so I'm going to ask one more question. And this is where does it go from here? Um, I asked Lee that question about whether or not there is actual procedure, uh, protocols, and so forth in the bylaws within the county party to to vacate the um, the chair. And I'm going to play what he said and get your response to this. Tell me if you think this is accurate or inaccurate. And the rules of the party basically say that if 10% of the members of the central committee sign a petition, there must be a meeting of the central committee. And if 75 members show up, you've got a quorum, and that quorum can then undertake any business it wishes of the central committee that's not otherwise prohibited by rule or statute. So in a simple way of putting it, if 10% of central committee sign a petition and 75 show up, they can undertake anything they want. And in this case, the motion that was circulated in the petition was a motion to vacate the office of chairman, which just means to remove the current chairman. So as I said to Lee yesterday, Lisa, I have not read the party uh, county party bylaws, uh, but that's how he reads them. How do you read them? Well, this is uh, not a question of opinion. This is a question of fact, and the bylaws and Robert's rules are pretty clear on this, and we have one of the top parliamentarians in the state of Ohio who we've also confirmed with, and this isn't the process for the party. I was elected to a four-year term. I have, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm still relatively a new chairman, and all the hurdles of redistricting the maps, um, you know, coming out of pandemic, rebuilding the party, you know, we're very excited to do that. We've added over 100 central committee members in my short time. 
Um, you know, that's a big accomplishment and something that isn't accurately being portrayed. We have good membership. We had one of the largest volunteer groups in the state of Ohio, um, you know, for a midterm cycle, especially when you have top a ticket up 20 points. So we have a lot of good things and good efforts in the party. We just need to keep building and building and building upon it and following the rules. We're a party of rules and regulations. Just because, you know, you want to be chairman doesn't make it so. Um, you know, there is a process in place, and I think he's misinterpreting the rules clearly. And, um, you know, much ado about nothing, as they say, meaning, you know, you can't just make up the rules and, and bully your way into leadership. We, we have to follow the rules and process. We're not Democrats. Well, 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 that's well said. Uh, you know, it's it's funny and it's frustrating because we're watching massive Republican division at the state level in the state house. As you know, uh, we saw a lot of infighting at the state central committee meeting to elect the new chair. As you said, Alex Alex Trantafalu, and now we've got this situation here. I don't like Republican on Republican violence. I believe in the Reagan 11th commandment about not attacking fellow Republicans, but we find ourselves in a time right now where a lot of that is going on. Do you think that when this is over, um, we will be able to unite again? For example, if you retain your, your chair or chairmanship, if you will, um, and Lee wants to run for another office, will you have a problem backing him? Will you have a problem working with him to try to support him as uh, the leader of the county party? Uh, thank you. I, I, As a committed conservative like you, Bob, I, I too am troubled by the divisions within the party. We need to be strong, and we need to make sure that we get a conservative agenda passed in Ohio, period. We have supermajority in both chambers, and we have to have a backbone and push this agenda, and we have to unify. These divisions, who was it, Allison Russo, the minority leader, yeah. said recently in the press, she loves the fact that we're so divided. Oh, yeah. The Democrats, this is their, you know, and we can't have this. This is not healthy for the party. I'm a party first person. That's why I'm doing this, because I do believe in the cause, and I do believe in the conservative cause. And yes, we have challenges in urban counties, but we have to be up for the fight, because this is the the final ground where the Democrats fight us here. I think that, you know, should candidate Weingart be a future thing where he tries to run again, I think we'd have to lay some ground rules. Like, if you're a candidate for the party, you're not donating to Democrats. If you're a candidate for the party, you're working well with other Republicans, you know, up and down the ticket, and the messaging has to be cohesive. And that's something I would say with any candidate. And that's what I think we have to do. We have to put the party first, and we have to make sure that we are honoring, you know, Reagan's commandment, if you will. I, I'm not one who likes to come out here and talk about candidates and critique them, you know, how they performed, what they could have done better. That's something I would like to do privately with the candidate. Because I think putting your name on the ballot is a big step. Offering voters a choice is a big step. And we should be thankful, particularly to ur- in urban counties, to the people who give voters a choice in a tough race. So that isn't my way of operating is to be negative. I try to be as positive as possible, but I do want to make sure we're clear on what the party did, what the party can do better, and what the party's working on. Because we have a plan, and I think if we keep building each year, we'll be on the right path. Lisa Sticken, uh, the chairperson of the – do you do you mind chairman? I hate saying chairperson. I <laughs> <laughs> you can say chairman of fine. I'm totally fine. She's the chairman of the uh, Calgary County Republican Party, and uh, she's got some work to do here to clear clear the air with Lee Weingart and some of Lee Weingart's supporters who want to replace her. I don't know how this is all going to play out. I hope there's some unity when it does. Uh, but I did want to give you an opportunity to defend yourself uh, against some of the things that Lee has alleged in this challenge to you. Uh, and when it's all, I said to Lee yesterday, when it's all over, the next time I speak to him, I'm going to treat him fairly as I always have, and I will say the same thing to you. If you're still the part Thank chair. you. 
if you're still the party chair, we're going to we're going to work together and try to get the messaging messaging that you want out there. And if you're not, I know you're going to keep your commitment to being a conservative leader in this party. So uh, and I look forward to talking to you either way. Thank you, Thank Lisa. Thank you, Bob, so much. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Take you care. too. You too. God bless. Bye-bye. That's, uh, that's Lisa Stick, and I, uh, I'm, I'm trying my very, very best here to be fair and hear both sides and their arguments. I gave Lee wide berth yesterday to express his complaints about Lisa's leadership, and I gave Lisa wide berth to defend those today. Uh, obviously, the sticking point for many, including the one Lisa just had there at the end, is uh, Lee Weingart wanting to lead Republicans, but with a pretty pretty substantial history of donating to Democrats. Whether that's over or not might be a big part of this conversation, too. All right, good stuff from them. It's 9.58. We'll take our time out, and we'll come back. We're guest-free the next half hour. If you want to respond to the Weingart stick-in conversation, you can do that. If you want to respond to any of the news we're talking about today, the next half hour is yours on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed, onward into hour number two. It's nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thank you for being with us on this Thursday. It's the 19th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Normally at this time, we get the wisdom of our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. He's traveling today, so Dr. Piper is not with us to uh, comment on the latest uh, battles in the culture wars. So I've got plenty of phone calls I want to take here in a moment. But before I do, I want to hit this because this needs to be hit. The CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla has been finally cornered, and it took him going to the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos to make this happen. He has finally been cornered. Those of us who have been screaming about the dangers of the poison darts that his company manufactured and then made deals to get emergency youth authoriza- use authorization from the federal government, from international governments, not only using them, but mandating them on people. This guy uh, has, has, has finally been caught. Now, I want to play a quick clip from NBC News. This is actually several clips from NBC News of Albert Borla talking about the effectiveness of his MRN, his company's mRNA poison darts and their subsequent boosters. Now, I want you to listen to what he says about these before we get to what happened in Davos yesterday. This is only 45 seconds, but I want you to listen to the bevy of lies as they increasingly change the narrative. Listen. A lot of indications right now that uh, are telling us that there is uh, uh, a protection against uh, transmission of the disease. There is a protection of transmission of COVID-19 if you take our darts. That's what Borla said. Let's listen to the rest of that. There is no variant that we have identified that escapes the protection of our vaccine. COVID to come now with a treatment of 90% effectiveness, you know, personally makes me a lot very proud about uh, And we know that um, the, three, the two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. The three doses with a the booster, they offer reasonable protection. It is necessary a fourth boost right now. The protection that you are getting from the third 
it is uh, good enough, actually quite good for hospitalizations and deaths. It's not that good against infections, but doesn't last. Okay, did you, did you catch those, those different narratives? At the beginning, he was telling Lester Holt, uh, yes, uh, all of the information we have says it stops. It prevents protection against infection from COVID-19, the coronavirus, right? It stops it. Then he said it, it takes two doses, but when you have both doses, it protects you against infection. Then he said, well, if you only have two doses, this is a different interview, of course, if you only have two doses, we're finding that it has very limited protection. However, if you have three doses, you have your third one, your booster shot, it provides marginal protection. Then the next interview was, it is time. You absolutely need to have a fourth booster shot if you want to have any protection against hospitalization. So they went from, for just take the shots and you'll never get infected, to in the fourth clip there, you know, if you take all four boosters, two, two primary shots and two boosters, it won't prevent infection, but you might not be hospitalized because of it. Now, why did I just play that? Here's why I just played that. It took intrepid news reporters go foreign news reporters to go to davos at the world economic forum meetings that are going on right now it took them to go there and catch up with the ceo of pfizer which is a more dangerous drug cartel than the sinaloa cartel at the southern border different kinds of drugs Different kinds of danger. This one's more dangerous because he's got to deal with the government to push his drugs. But Albert Borla, CEO of Pfizer, walking to from wherever it is he was walking. I don't know if it's from his hotel, from a, from a parking lot or whatever. But walking with his handlers to the World Economic Forum meetings in Davos is encountered by two reporters who proceed to bombard him with no less than 29 questions. Let's see if he's able to answer any of them. Mr. Borla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. Answer that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans- stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? If you're wondering why they're out of breath, again, this is all on a walk from wherever it was into the, the, the World Economic Forum meetings here. So this isn't like a podium press conference. They have approached him and are walking with him very, very fast as he tries to escape these questions. Continue. Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission. Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks 
every day. Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apology, sir. Do you, do you think you should be charged criminally for Albert, for some of the criminal behavior you've obviously been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? Nothing. Who did you meet with here in secret? Will you disclose who you met with? Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Have you engaged in that same conduct again? Are you under investigation like you were before for your deceptive marketing, sir? <laughs> I'm going to stop it here. It goes on like this for another four minutes. That's only two and a half minutes. And I want to say a couple of things about this. First of all, what I said earlier stands. Albert Borla should be in prison. He's the Pfizer CEO. That company is a dangerous drug cartel. Just instead of fentanyl, instead of heroin, instead of, uh, of cocaine, instead of all of these dangerous drugs, they deal mRNA poison darts. That make What makes them more dangerous than the drug cartels on the border the blood car- drug cartels in South America and Latin America and all of those in China that are being run up through uh, the United States, through Mexico to the United States, is that they don't have to hide. They get theirs on TV for free. They get theirs pushed by the President of the United States. Get your booster. Get your fourth booster. They get all of this promotion for free. At the same time, hiding the over 1,300 known side effects for 75 years. Nobody's allowed to crack the code and take a look at everything that they know for 75 years, long after Albert Borla and probably his progeny are dead and gone and thus not liable uh, and cannot be held criminally accountable for what they've done. Second thing I'll say is this. American news media, I hope you watch this video that I just played a portion of on the radio. I hope you watch it and listen to it, because what you just saw was a master class in journalism. This is a master class in how to ask questions that need to be asked of of people who are very powerful and very, very dangerous in an attempt to get to the truth. Stop kissing the ring, if not the A, of the modern American Democrat Party, and start asking these kinds of questions of Joe Biden. Ask these kinds of questions of, of anybody and everybody, including the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, Dr. Anthony Fauci, anybody who was responsible for mandating these poison darts go into the arms of Americans to be able to work, to be able to go to school, to be able to uh, appear on campuses, to be able to uh, work for the federal government, to enlist in the military, to stay in the military, mandating this poison that was ineffective and that they've changed the narrative of every step of the way. When is the American media going to do what these reporters did to Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer in Davos? That was phenomenal. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I want to get some calls in here. We're going to go to Middleburg Heights. Conrad is up on AM 1420, The Answer. And it says on my screen, Conrad, you're the president of the Middleburg GOP. Uh, good to have you aboard. Uh, good morning. Go ahead, sir. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I just wanted to clear some things up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in the run-up to the last election, we were unable to um, 
field enough volunteers here to do door knocking for all the other candidates and then a separate door knocking for Lee Weingart all by himself, which is what he said he wanted. So what we did when we got his materials and all the materials for the slate cards and everything else, we put Lee Weingart in the very front of the packet so everybody would see that at least. And we went to hundreds of houses in Middleburg Heights. We got the Republican turnout was higher in nine of our 11 precincts than the Democrat turnout percentage-wise. And we got Lee and other Republicans passed in our in our town. We worked for Lee Weingart. We got no thanks from him, and we got no support from him. Another thing is that Lee Weingart wants to chair the Republican County Central Committee. He's not even a member of the Central Committee. Hasn't He couldn't even apparently run for that office or get himself appointed to that office, let alone win for a county uh municipal office. Um, Lee Weingart it talks about the fact that he is a lobbyist, and that's why he gives money to both parties, well, and both candidates. This is an, a demonstration of what the Republican Party in Cuyahoga County and around the country used to be, a bunch of well-to-do donors who helped each other out to get into office to get kickbacks. That's not the way the party in Cuyahoga County is anymore. That's why we put Lisa Sticken in to replace her predecessor. If these donors that, that Lee thinks are so great really love the party, why did they stop donating to the party? Because they didn't have control over the party leadership to get their particular okay. special interest done. So I just want to clear this up. Lisa is rebuilding the party from the grassroots Lee Weingart wants to take it back to the fat cats. Conrad, I'm glad you called. I appreciate your perspective on all of that, and especially with what happened in Middleburg with your firsthand experience there. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, it is it is a difficult thing to um, to think about a lobbyist, uh, in, and this isn't specific to Lee Weingart, just in general. If a lobbyist, by the nature of their work, donates to both Democrats and Republicans, can and should a lobbyist want to represent one of those parties as a leader? As a chair, I am again. That's not speaking to Lee or Lee's qualifications or not. Just it's, it's a fair question. If you are, if that's the ex- explanation for all of the Democrat donations, is that I'm a lobbyist and I've got clients who are on both sides of this thing, then can you really effectively lead one party over the other? I don't know. Uh, let's talk to uh, Ralph in Bedford. Ralph, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Uh, go right ahead. Hey Bob, this is Ralph. Long time I haven't talked to you. Uh, I just had to call in and address. The call yesterday and the call today. Okay. Uh, you, know, you and I go way back from when I used to write blogs and stuff, and yeah, sure. been involved in the Cuyahoga County Republican Party for the the last twenty years. You remember how we would get pissed or get upset when we had these donors uh, that were controlling the party, and, and that's why some of these donors have walked away because they can no longer, under Lisa's leadership, they are no longer allowed to control and dictate the way the party goes. In my plus 20 years on the Cuyahoga County Republican Party and being involved in grassroots, Mm -hmm. I myself have never seen the Cuyahoga County Republican Party to where we are at now, where we have the ability to build, where we are not influenced by donors, where we have the ability to reach out and get good donors like Mike Gibbons, Bernie Marino, Ed Crawford, who was an ambassador to Ireland under Donald Trump, 
we're finally at a point in time in our party where we're clean and we can start to build the right way. Lee Weingart plays both sides. I remember knocking doors to get petitions to put the MedMart tax that because of Lee Weingart we had. Lee Weingart has never done anything with grassroots. He's done nothing for party building. And right now, going with Lee Weingart as a chairman would be five steps backwards. Well, we're now in a position under Lisa's leadership with the new people we're bringing in. We're now able to start taking steps forward. Okay, Ralph. Uh, and, you know, I think your uh, your view is supported and shared by a number of other people, at least the number of people who have contacted me since this whole thing kind of came to light. Uh, you know, and again, I feel bad because I do believe that Lee Weingart is a conservative Republican, but in his position, uh, he has to play a different side sometimes. Uh, and I don't want to want to begrudge anybody what they do, but if it comes down to leadership of a party that's trying to, as you say, rebuild from a grassroots organization, it does call into question what the goal is. You know, uh, if uh, somebody wants to replace the current chair, what is the goal? Raising funds is a great goal. Uh, continuing to grow the grow the uh, uh, party and and expand volunteerism and so on and so forth, so forth. Those are great goals. But um, the question remains, and and the other question remains too. And thanks for the call, Ralph. The other question that remains too. I was just reminded not only by the last caller, Conrad, but somebody just texted me and said. If if anybody wants to be the chairman of the party, they first have to be appointed to the Central Committee. And uh, it was echoed that Lee is not on the Central Committee. Therefore, any of the orders, the rules of order that he shared with me on yesterday's program that I replayed for Lisa today would be kind of moot. Um, you know, they, they can't just appoint somebody from outside the committee to be the chairman of the party in Cuyahoga County. He's got to be appointed to the committee first. So that's something I'm sure he and his team or, or his supporters and like-minded people are looking into, and we'll see how that plays out. Quick time out. It's 1026, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. Onward now at 1037. Good Thursday morning to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, coming up in about a half an hour at about 1110, we're going to talk to the new Ohio Republican Party chairman, uh, Alex Triantafalu. He won uh, a very contested race, I guess, if you will, with uh, Brian Williams and Jimmy Stewart. And uh, we followed that story very, very closely leading, leading up to it. Now he's uh, taken the controls. We're going to talk to him about what the agenda looks like and whether or not he's going to commit to reforms that I think the ORP needs to commit to after some of the uh, ridiculousness involving the former chair, Bob Paduchik. So that's coming up at 1110. But for now, I want to turn our attention back to the uh, the document scandal. How and why is it that suddenly classified documents are being turned up and found by President Biden's own lawyers and other uh, team members, uh, obviously first at the Penn Biden Center, then in his home, then in the garage of his home next to his Corvette. But we want to focus on the Penn Biden Center because there's a, an organization that has been watching and warning for a long time about what they called a pay-to-play scandal, if you will, at the Penn Biden Center. Uh, this organization, 
has been warning about uh, foreign entanglements and foreign uh, actors, whether they're bad actors or not, remain to be seen, I suppose, but um, doing business at the Penn Biden Center uh, and the university sponsoring such things uh, long before the president's classified document scandal. John Pudner is the executive director of Take Back Our Republic. He said that several of Biden's 2020 presidential campaign senior staff members worked out of that D.C. think tank, which violated the University of Pennsylvania's tax-exempt status laws against electioneering, among other things. And he's going to make some sense out of this for us. John, thanks for joining us this morning here in Cleveland. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me. So this is uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, strings to this, I suppose. Uh, we we want to try to pull one and get the, get everything to fall out at the same time. That may or may not be possible. Can you try to explain to me why it is that it was a violation of the rules for them to have staffers working out of the Penn Biden Center? It's got his name on it. First of all, second of all, how does that tie into foreign influences or foreign actors having access to the building? and the facility that we then eventually found classified documents in. Yeah, so the, the, the two things that are violated here is that a nonprofit, which is what a university is, cannot um, cannot be involved in politics and trying to elect someone. Now, we all know how liberal most campuses have become, but nonetheless, yeah. that's a rule. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that's a violation. But, but the quick sixth step here, and this will be brief, but step one, the president of UPenn gets, $54 million at least from the Chinese, so foreign donations into the C3. Uh, so step two, she pays herself $4 million of that, uh, pretty exorbitant for a university uh, president at a public uh, university. Right. Uh, three, she pays Biden, now President Biden, $911,000 out of it for a no-show job, just $911,000 you know, in the bank for him. Uh, number five, they opened this pen, uh, this Penn Biden Center at which classified documents are taken, <laughs> sitting over in a closet. And then, uh, you know, those are finally discovered. And then step six, he names Amy Gutman, this president, as ambassador to Germany, the biggest economic rival of China outside of the U.S. So it, it, it's unreal, but these are the six steps we started talking about two years ago. And, and no investigation of the attorney general in Pennsylvania, clear violations. You also certainly cannot spend foreign money on electioneering. So, you know, that that's step two. So try to explain this to me like I'm a, I'm a five-year-old. Um, if China is paying all of this money, $54, $54 million, and she takes $4 million of it for herself and so on and so forth, then she gets appointed uh, in Germany, as you say, which is the biggest rival of China's. How does that benefit anybody? It, it Doesn't it put them at loggerheads? Oh, oh, it's terrible. And as a matter of fact, in her testimony uh, after the appointment, you know, for a confirmation, she basically had amnesia about the money she'd raised from China. It's unreal if you go back and watch the video. And this is all documented now. Is $54 million at least, but they knew how damaging that would be. So whoever her handlers were for her testimony to get through as ambassador, she basically, if you watch her videos, acted like she didn't have any recollection of the $54 million she'd collected. So, John, uh, tie the, the documents into this in whatever way you can. Like I said, I want to pull each of these strings to see what comes out, but now I want to tie a couple of them together. So you got these classified documents. First of all, how long is it assumed that they've been there, if you know? And second of all, how does this tie into uh, the electioneering and so forth that you're, you're talking about happening at the Penn-Biden Center, against the, which is against the uh, uh, campaign laws? 
Sure, and we do uh, have a piece of National Review today on it. But these documents, uh, the, uh, the Penn Biden Center was opening yeah, just a little before the end of the vice presidential term, so mm-hmm. end of Obama's last term before President Trump had won. So the center was just open then, and these documents obviously had to be taken out of the vice president's office. Uh, so it was taken from them over to the center, which is basically funded by China indirectly, and they sit in that place. Now, here's the extra violation. We now know that a bunch of the actual senior campaign staff who are preparing a presidential election for Biden were working out of this center. You have classified documents, uh, obviously compromising I mean, the documents about various different countries, um, you know, apparently some of which are, are ones who have had dealings with the Biden, you know, obviously Ukraine and others that Hunter Biden's made so much money off of. So this stuff is sitting there in an office funded by, you know, a, a rival at very least of the U.S. while they basically plan a campaign for president. I mean, they're just, there's so many rules broken here. The double standard on this one, uh, you know, is really beyond the pale. We're talking to, with uh, John Pudner. He is the uh, executive director of Take Back Our Republic. Um, so, John, let's talk about China's involvement in this. Why, why is China funding all of this? What is their what is their payoff here for their investment in this in this center and uh, and and having, I guess, access, if you will, to this Penn Biden Center? What is what is their do, do they have access by way of literally having some of their uh, uh, represent representation in the center doing work doing negotiations or how are they involved in terms of other than funding? Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know that, you know, anyone from the Chinese Communist Party went to the center. So, yeah, I want to be clear on that. Um, the whole problem is just well, we do talk not, about for, we do talk about foreign foreign actors being involved and actually having access right. to it. Not necessarily Chinese, though, but but we do talk about yeah. foreign uh, involvement in the center. Yes. So obviously, when another country starts influencing a U.S. election, um, you know, that's why we have laws against that. Sure. particularly with the break that President Trump made with kind of the old Republican, let's just get along and anything that makes money for multinational corporations, great. You know, Trump was obviously a radical departure from that. You know, stood up to China. I mean, I, I think even some of the people who are not fans of President Trump will at least give him credit for that, that, you know, we have these ridiculously imbalanced trade agreements with China. So obviously the last thing China wanted was another four years of President Trump. So the fact that, you know, they put money in different ways and we're very suspicious on these billions of dollars that go through Act Blue on another topic that, that, you know, that can be coming from Chinese programmers. That system's set up to, to basically launder money and using fake American names. So, so the point here is just China at very least wanted a much more friendly to them U.S. president which they were going to get. I mean, anyone but Trump would have been more friendly to them. So right there, even if they did nothing else, just helping to pick the president of the United States of America would be a huge coup on their part. So, John, you and um, and I'm reading a, a portion of a national story by uh, Empower Wisconsin back in 2021. You guys were sounding the alarm then about China's influence uh, in this uh, and and the violations of of, of laws for the non, for the 51C3 nonprofit uh, Penn University and so forth. Why was nobody listening? Well, the the reason was the person who had to investigate was uh, Shapiro, the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, now the governor. So 
you had a very partisan Democrat. And so our appeal, our official letter requesting an investigation had to go there. Now, things have changed a little now with Republicans taking over the House. Obviously, they're initiating investigations from Congress. And, and Congress, of course, has subpoena power on this. But unfortunately, um, we were we were on deaf ears. I mean, we had a partisan attorney general who would not pursue the case. And that was really and, you know, we just asked for an investigation. Uh, but it ended with Shapiro, obviously. I'm going to ask you an opinion question now, because to this point, you've been giving us the facts as you've uncovered them and know them. Uh, but now what is your opinion as to why these documents are just now being found? Uh, we're in 2023, so this is the calendar year. It probably won't be till late spring and summertime that most candidates for 2024 announce their candidacy. Uh, not sure exactly when Joe Biden is going to announce his reelection campaign plans, if he does want to run again. Do you think that the discovery of these documents suddenly, after two years of you warning about certain things, just now coming about is geared towards stopping him from being president again? Well, I, 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 my bigger concern is that they did not come out until after the midterm. So let me look backwards first, because one of the motivators, and, you know, we look at a lot of polling on um, political campaigns, et cetera, one motivator out there for voting against Republicans to kind of cut into the red wave was this belief that um, the files found at Mar-a-Lago showed that Trump and Republicans you know, are not can't handle classified things, can't be trusted, et cetera. Well, can you imagine if these things were actually found and became public before the midterms? Uh, it would throw out that whole argument. At the very least, you'd say, what are you talking about? Yeah, they're classified documents here. And that would have let voters cast a fair election. Now, maybe voters would have said, oh, you know, maybe everyone has some of these documents. It's not that big a deal, which would have helped Republicans immensely because they'd drawn such a narrative that Trump is on the Wild West on this. Or maybe they would have gone further and said, my gosh, he's, Biden's just so corrupt. We've got to get some balance in the Senate and House. I mean, these things change elections. So I, I, I'm concerned that it took until after the midterms to come out. But you make a very good point looking ahead. Why are they out now? I mean, are there Democrats who don't want Biden to be the nominee? I mean, you can, you know, this is all speculation, but uh, the looking forward is a little harder to see. Well, uh, this picture is probably a little murky, but maybe come clearer. Do you think it's uh, it's interesting that that this issue is coming up right now? I just literally saw a headline this morning as I was preparing today's show, today's show that uh, James Clyburn, who is uh, widely regarded as a kingmaker in the Democrat Party. He is, quote, all in for President Biden. Quote, I think he's demonstrated in these two years he is deserving of reelection, and I do believe he will be reelected, irrespective of who the Republicans put up. Um, so Biden still has supporters, and this is a pretty prominent one. Uh, do you think that the Democrat Party wants him to run again? Well, I think there are plenty who don't. Who think, you know, there are better options. Um, however, Clyburn is the person in the U.S. most responsible for his election. Um, you know, if you replay last election, Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee until Clyburn um, put together an incredible organization in South Carolina and other areas and got Biden over the top. So Clyburn's been all in. He would be the most logical champion. And, of course, once you get someone elected president, play a big part in it. You know, you want that person back. But, no, I, I think Democrats who crunch numbers would certainly rather have someone else without the baggage at this point. But Clyburn's going to be number one cheerleader on this one. 
last one for you. Uh, if if there is, we're talking to John Pudner. Um, if if there is a movement within the party uh, to to stop him from running again, one would think that Merrick Garland would be playing a role in this, and that he would have ordered the FBI to investigate and search for any other documents to make sure that there is there are no more caches of documents, rather than just Joe Biden's personal attorney, who's per, who's shopping around looking for these things, and we're supposed to trust that everything he found he turned over, that he didn't pocket certain things to be burned later. Uh, the FBI was not involved in any searches until this moment. They still haven't been, which indicates that Biden is still in full control here. Uh, it would seem to, and yeah, I certainly don't want to speculate on FBI's actions. Um, obviously, there have been some questions the last several years, um, but I think the rank and file, certainly by all accounts, are very good. Um, sure. But yeah, th- this is interesting. These but all the DOJ, the, the, the Attorney General is not ordering it. Christie's not telling Chris Ray, you know, you need to take over this investigation. We found files now in three different locations with classified markings. You have to be involved here. Instead, they're just going to sit by the, you know, along the roadside and, and trust that Joe Biden's attorneys are going to turn over everything that's, you know, that needs to be turned over and then to say, okay, now we're done. I mean, I, I, I just think it's astounding that the DOJ isn't acting here unless they are truly all a part of, um, you know, and that goes from Garland to Ray and, and, and every level of it, unless they're all a part of, you know, hey, uh, save Joe Biden, he's, he's, he's going to be elected, reelected. Yeah, and, and I think at very least, even at a PR level, the juxtaposition of that and, you know, the agent showing up in Mar-a-Lago, you know, that, those images are, are going to be there and look a lot more hypocritical now. So, you know, whatever the inner workings there, um, they're certainly painting a, a bad picture for themselves. To your knowledge, did Pres- was President Trump correct when he said, look, I had the right as president, as commander-in-chief, to declassify anything I wanted before I took them? And obviously Joe Biden, as vice president, did not have such uh, power to declassify, declassify things, and that's the difference between the two. To your knowledge and understanding, is that accurate? I, I, I'm not as clear on that. I just have... Um attorneys who know the law who have come down on both sides of that you know who have said either president trump did or didn't so at least there's a question there i i wouldn't be the expert on that one um but yeah obviously you know biden did not have the ability to um certainly and you know the rule that we hit again in a couple of these pieces is the rule is you don't take anything out of the white house that you didn't bring in anything is produced while you're there anything you have access to it does not leave. And as we said in the National Review article today, these things are brightly marked. You know, this isn't like, oh, I got the wrong manila folder. They're manila. You know, they're, they're, they're very clear on what a classified file is. So someone took things that looked like a classified file and took them to the center. And yeah, clearly that's not allowed. John Pudner is the executive director of Take Back Our Republic. Follow their work at TakeBackAction.org, TakeBackAction.org. John and his team have been uh, warning about what's going on at the Penn Biden Center for two years now, and now we find out this is where some of the classified documents are. It's not just a coincidence. Pay attention to these folks, and you're going to follow wherever the the, the facts lead. John, I appreciate you coming on. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll hopefully check in again. Oh, anytime. By the way, I do have a brick in the stadium, Putner Brothers. So I do have a little Cleveland connection, but that's for another day. Beautiful. Love that. <laughs> and well, you know, next time we chat, we'll make sure to talk more about that. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. He's got a brick in the stadium. That is outstanding. Uh, all right, 1054. We'll take a time out here. Always Right Radio on AM 1420 DS. 
1057, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, we're going to talk Ohio politics. The new chairman of the Republican Party replacing Bob Paduchek is Alex Triantafalu, and he'll be joining me after the top of the hour news. We're going to talk about what his goal is, what the agenda is for the party, and how maybe they find a way to heal the massive rift. I don't know if it's healable. I don't even know if it should be, to be quite honest with you. The gang of 22 trans Republicans who are technically trans Democrats because they transition from Republican to Democrat by stabbing Derek Maron in the back, uh, whether or not that can ever come together. We'll talk to Alex about that, about audits, uh, about uh, endorsements and more. So that's coming up. Uh, and uh, if you missed the county conversations, you really, really missed a lot. Yesterday, I spoke at length with Lee Weingart, former Cuyahoga County uh, executive candidate and uh, uh, representing the Republicans. Of course, I and everybody supported him in that fight. But now he wants to lead the Cuyahoga County Republican Party, not as a candidate for office, but as the leader of the party. And that's a bit of a different flavor, considering he's got uh, some some history of uh, donating big dollars to Democrats who work against Republicans. So that's got some people not really thrilled and maybe asking a lot of questions. So I interviewed him yesterday, and then today I interviewed Lisa Sticken, who is the current chair uh, that Lee and his team want to remove uh, from a leadership position, he says, simply for poor performance. Uh, Both those interviews are going to be up at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. I highly recommend listening to those on the podcast page when you get an opportunity. Uh, and I highly recommend listening to Alex to Alex Triantafalu next segment as well. Oh, by the way, as long as we're on recommendations, set a little timer on your phone for 7 o'clock tonight if you are Facebook, uh, if you are on Facebook. I think Facebook and Twitch are the only two live places where you can watch our podcast live tonight at 7. Talking smack with Bob and Jack. Uh, Jack Windsor and I are going to be discussing uh, the COVID, the latest in the COVID scandal. Let's call it that. The latest in the COVID scandal, and that is the CDC investigating massive numbers of um, of uh, blood clots uh, caused by the Pfizer and Moderna shots. And uh, we're going to be talking with a cardiologist who's going to talk about the recent rash of people falling over with cardiac events as well. So we're going to have a live expert on the air with us tonight, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, 7 o'clock, live on Facebook and on Twitch. And then, of course, it will be uploaded to the podcast pages where you listen to your podcasts. News time now. Alex Trantaflu on the other side, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer. 
Hour number three is underway now at nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Thursday. It's the 19th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Party politics at the county level, front and center yesterday and today. Lee Weingart joined us yesterday. He wants to remove Lisa Sticken as the chair in Cogna County. Today I talked to Lisa Sticken and she responded to all of that. If you missed those interviews, get them at whkradio.com from the podcast page. Let's graduate, elevate now, if you will, to the state party. The uh, state party has a new leader. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is not Reggie Hammond. You'll have to be probably 45 or older to get that reference. Uh, but uh, the new sheriff in town, in other words, the leader of the Republican Party at the state level, the ORP, is longtime Hamilton County Republican Party leader, Alex Triantafalu, who joins us now to talk about his victory and about his agenda going forward as the leader of the ORP. Alex, thanks for joining us all the way up here on the other end of the state. How are you this morning? Bob, I'm doing well. It's a privilege to be with you. And just for the record, I did get the 48 hours reference because I'm over 45. But thank you. <laughs> Good to be with you. <laughs> yes, sir. There you go. Uh, I don't that that one always stuck in my head from from what 1982. I want to say that movie came out, but uh, it was a classic. Alex, first classic things first. Movie. Yeah, it really was. First things first. Did I say the last name right? I've been rolling with Trianta Falu now ever since uh, you you know you put your name into this thing. Am I close? Thank you. It's Trianta Filu, so just, Filu. just one one uh, syllable off there on the um, on the phonetic. And there's a good phonetic on my my Twitter page at Chairman Alex that I've uh, directed other friends in the press to. So absolutely, it's Trianta Filu. But you can call me Alex anytime. <laughs> I appreciate that. But when I'm talking about you, I need to tell people who you are now. So I will say Trianta Filu, but you do you have um, piqued my curiosity here. What's the ethnicity origin of that last name? Yeah, I'm a proud Greek American. Parents both from Greece, but uh, it is a uh, it is a Greek name, Bob. Hundred percent awesome. Greek. Love it. Uh, Alex Trantafilou is our guest, and he is the new chairman of the ORP. Okay, so when this whole thing came down and uh, the new leader to replace Bob Paduchik was going to be chosen, there were a lot of people, myself included, who were very, very concerned that Bob Paduchik's hand-picked successor was going to take over, and that was believed to be Jimmy Stewart, and uh, that it was going to be business as usual. A lot of people, a lot of conservative Republicans in this state, particularly up here in northeast Ohio, Alex, did not like that at all. We did not We did not like Bob Paduchik at all. We did not like some of the things that he did, some of the decisions he made, the manner in which he carried himself, some of the weight he tried to throw around when it comes to state central committee positions and 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 more. We didn't want that. And a lot of people here said Brian Williams would be the answer. And then as it came down to it, you and Brian Williams were the two choices after Stewart dropped out of this thing. So... Tell me uh, what your uh, reason for wanting to be the leader of this party uh, at the state level is, and tell me how you think you won, how you defeated Brian. Well, you know, I've been a county chairman for 15 years, Bob, and, um, you know, I've watched from Cincinnati about, you know, things that have happened at the state level. And, you know, for, for several cycles, actually, I've had people ask me, are you interested in the big job? And really for personal reasons, I, you know, I've, uh, I've got a great wife in Cincinnati. I've got a child I wanted to be coaching on the weekends and, and, and spending time with. I didn't do it. But uh, when this uh, opportunity came along this year, I really didn't know that the chairman Paduchik was going to step down. But when I heard that he was, I thought, you know what, I've kind of done this in a big county. I've raised the money and organized and done things that you know, I, I, that you need to do as a, as a party leader. And I thought this is a good opportunity to sort of, you know, take my talents to Columbus, so to speak. So that's what I did. And just to be honest with you, I mean, no one, no state leader, 
called me and said, Alex, we want you to do this. I wasn't, uh, I'm, I'm in nobody's camp. Uh, you know, I, I said to my committee after I got elected, you know, there was, there was chatter about were there deals, et cetera. None of that is true. I, I said the only deal I made is with the 66 members of the state committee, and I meant that. So, you know, I come at this from a, a, from a perspective of wanting to try to build a strong party organization that can help us defeat liberal Democrats and make sure this state is as red in places like Cincinnati and Cleveland as it is everywhere else. So, you know, I'm, I'm committed to... Um, uh, you know, to, to building out a strong party structure, and it's a passion of mine since I was a young man, and that's why I'm here. Alex uh, Triantafilu is our guest. He's the new chairman of the ORP, replacing Bob Paducic. Those were all very good answers. I like them, other than the LeBron James reference. Uh, we don't, well, some of us don't. <laughs> Some of us don't claim LeBron James, particularly when he's uh, taking his talents to another city and sticking it to his hometown fans and, moreover, considering his politics. Um, My Twitter feed, by the way, has been full of me attacking LeBron James, and I've gotten some grief from your part of the state. I'm no fan either of most of what he says publicly. He ought to... He ought to stick to basketball. And by the way, he's not as good as Michael Jordan. But anyway. Oh, my gosh. You and, I, you and I need to go out and have a beer sometime, even though I don't drink. We should go out and do it anyway because <laughs> we would have some great conversations because I agree a thousand percent. Anybody who's giving you grief on Twitter about that, by the way, are Democrats. Uh, okay. So, Alex, um, those were all great answers, but now I'm going to ask you a very direct question um, that's sure. going to tell me a lot more about you and your, your, your agenda going forward here is, how would you characterize Bob Paduchik as the leader of the party uh, since 2021? You know, I'm not going to be critical of any of my predecessors, so if, if that's not uh, the sufficient answer, I appreciate it. I just Look, want an I honest came one. Here. Yeah, I yeah. just want an honest yeah. one, whatever that is. Yeah, my honest answer is I'm just not, I'm not going to do it that way. Look, I'm trying to transition into the office. Uh, here, here's what I want to do. I want to build the kind of organization that Republicans feel uh, that they can support. And I'm talking about the entirety of the Republican Party. One of the things I heard during this campaign, which was very valuable, somebody said to me, you know, it seems the, the various interest groups on the left all sort of fall in and work with the Democrats, but Republicans don't always feel at home, you know, various groups, whether, and I don't want to name them, but, you know, various uh, conservative-leaning groups sometimes don't feel at home in the party. Um, I want to try to fix that. I don't know if I'll be successful, but I can tell you a couple things. I will listen. We'll have a full airing of issues at the state committee level. And, um, you know, I, look, I come from a pretty red part of the state. Now, my county has a big blob of, you know, left-wing socialists in the middle of Cincinnati. But southwest Ohio, Bob, is a pretty conservative area. I, I grew up a pretty conservative guy. So, you know, I want to reach out to all of those various groups, and I want to be supportive of our candidates and of our party. And, you know, I, I don't like the factionalism in the party. I want to try to be a better listener. So, again, none of this is to, to say anything generally about my predecessor, but I've done this for a long time, and um, I, you know, I want to be that kind of a, a different leader in the sense that I want to include everybody in our party and our message. Yeah, I can respect that, especially not wanting to trash the guy on his way out the door. But I'm still going to press here a little bit, not trashing him, but sure. saying, how different will you be? Particularly when it comes to things that frustrated a lot of conservatives in this state, again, in this particular part of the state, things like not allowing an audit to be conducted. One that was, what, three years uh, three years running, going back to Jane Timken, she wouldn't allow it to happen either. Bob Paduchik would not allow that to happen either. Uh, we needed to account for, for hundreds of thousands, if not more. Uh, missing dollars and um, he don't want to do it which of course just you know anybody who says no to that says I've got something to hide whatever that audit shows isn't going to be favorable to me or people that I work with Um, are you going to push for an audit as the chair of this party 
I made a commitment to do that in the campaign. The outgoing um, treasurer of this organization uh, suggested in his final remarks as the treasurer uh, that we needed an audit. The answer is we will do an audit. Uh, that That is something I've committed to our central committee to do, and I will explain to them every step of the process. As a matter of fact, I've already had two conversations uh, that I won't – I won't get public at the moment because, you know, there might be one or two Democrats listening, Bob, so I don't want to tell them all of our secrets, but we are going to absolutely take up a, a good look at this. And by the way, it's something that any leader taking over an organization should do. You want a clean bill of health financially coming in, you want a clean bill of health going out. I haven't seen anything here to give me grave concerns in the, you know, the week and a half that I've been on the job. But, you know, we did commit to an audit, and we will do an audit, and uh, we will uh, report those findings to our committee. Alex, let's talk about elections uh, and what kinds of strategies uh, you might have. Um, maybe one of the most important is, is is we've got to get that other Senate seat away from Sherrod Brown. Uh, he's been pretty rock solid there for a while now. Uh, Jim Renacci, of course, was the last to test him, and uh, he got into it late at the request of the White House. It was really a kind of a an unfair uh, game at that particular point. But um, but he won by seven, I think it is, Sherrod Brown. Matt Dolan has already announced that he's going to make a run at this. He, of course, was in the primary field for uh, uh, for Portman seat, um, how do we win back that seat? And talk about just generally, you know, Ohio has been very very red in terms of its overall performance for Republicans, but winning the seats that escape us. So I think really with with defeating somebody like Sherrod Brown, it is going to it's going to be to be sure that we do better than expected in some of the urban environments. This is again an area where I have some knowledge coming out of Cincinnati, but we're going to have to do better because Sherrod Brown. Uh, is going to try to do what Democrats do when they win in states like ours. He's going to try to turn out a massive number of votes from inner-city communities and Democrat liberal communities all across Ohio, but typically in those big cities. So we're going to have to do a better job in those environments to make sure that people understand the message of conservatism, and that is a, a message of prosperity for everybody, the message that Donald Trump delivered so effectively. You know, I'm mindful of the fact that Donald Trump did well in the African-American community, which, you know, happened to be, uh, you know, you had a large number of votes in the African-American community in the big cities in this state. So, you know, that message of prosperity. So I think, first of all, it's going to be blunting some of what he's able to do in the cities and then making sure we get the massive kind of turnout that we've seen for President Trump in Ohio in those, uh, <clears throat> in those big years to make sure that the areas of this state that have really gone red under President Trump stay just the way they are and that they stay as interested in the Republican Party and its message as they were in Donald Trump's message. So I think it's twofold. I think it's making sure we do okay in those cities where we don't just get absolutely slaughtered there as Republicans and then also to make sure we keep all of those wonderful, you know, they're along the I-75 corridor and then even as you get it, into the northeastern uh, part of the state where a lot of those communities have really come back to the Republican Party, that we keep them right there. And we need the right kind of messenger and the right kind of candidate for that, and I think that's going to come through a primary. Well, they, Bing, you just you led right into my next question. In order to find yes, the right sir. candidates, we've got to have good, solid primaries. Now, I was very, very angry with Bob Paduchik when he uh, started funneling money to the DeWine campaign before any endorsement vote was even held uh, in that primary. I felt like Jim Renacci deserved a better shot at this, despite, I think, what was much not much more than interference from Joe Blystone. But... Um, my question is, is is going to be, as you run this party, how will and how transparent will uh, funding decisions, campaign funds being given to certain campaigns, uh, how will that be handled, uh, again, vis-a-vis um, endorsements and endorsement votes among the party? Yeah, so we have a, we have a bylaws provision about endorsements now. Uh, Bob, let me just take one minute and tell you, in my county, in Hamilton County, 
we went for years without doing primary endorsements. Now, I'm not saying that's the right answer for the state party because our committee, the committee of the state party, is rather divided. And there are people in good faith who say, you know, we ought to, we ought to do endorsements-free primary to educate voters. And then there are people that say, heck no, let the primary play out. And there are just two pretty divergent camps on this point. But uh, in my county, just by way of uh, background, I think maybe three or four times over 15 years, and that's hundreds of races, by the way, where there were potential primaries. We did not endorse in primaries. We tried to pull everybody together in the general. So that, that's just some of my background, some of what I bring into this job. In terms of transparency, well, absolutely we're going to be transparent. The law requires that every nickel that we spend get reported, uh, and we'll do that, and we'll be transparent with our committee as well. You know, I, there's going to be, back to the bylaws question, by the way, we're going to do a bylaws review. One of the things I also ran on was an audit and doing a bylaws review so we can really have some clarity about exactly what the responsibilities are of the chairman and the rest of the committees of the party. So those are all things that we're going to, you know, we're working on. On actively now, actually, I've been here, like I said, about about six days. I'm still trying to staff up here at the party, but once we get uh, we get fully rolling, which is going to become you know in the next week or so, probably we'll get to work on all those things. But the bylaws, by the way, just to hit that again, so you understand, that will be one of the ways where we really clarify how some of those issues get handled, so the entirety of the committee knows exactly what's happening. Alex Triantafilu is our guest. He is the new uh, chairman of the Ohio Republican Party. Two more for you, Alex, and they're related. Um, I've long said when when Republicans govern as Democrats, what the hell is the point of having midterms? Uh, it doesn't matter which party you elect if they're all going to act like Democrats. Uh, in my view, Governor Mike DeWine, other than maybe the abortion issue and one or two other things, has made some decisions that made a lot of Democrats very, very happy. I was not happy with his reelection. Now, I've got 22 out of a 67-member supermajority in the Ohio State House that are trans. Not trans uh, gender, but trans Democrats. They identified as Democrats. They voted with Democrats and took the speakership away from the caucus-selected Derek Maron. So there are major, major problems in our party, even with our supermajority and our Republicans and all of the statewide offices, if they're going to act like Democrats. What can, if anything, you do as the party chair to heal those rifts, uh, to bridge those divides, or maybe none of the above. Maybe it's, you know what, we got a primary out. People are going to side with Democrats over Republicans. Well, you know, we did, we did really have, I had the gavel for all of about five minutes, and we did pass a censure, which has been you know, a little controversial, but uh, that's one of the things that happened right out of the gate for us here at the state party. Uh, but really, just needed more I teeth. Do, by the way, the only controversy yeah. for me is it didn't have enough teeth. It didn't say no funding yeah. and no endorsements from the party. Uh, that right. could still happen right. later on, but that's the only thing. I, I wish you would have been, had a little more teeth, but I'm, I'm sorry. Go on. No, no, fair enough. So, um, yeah, so what else can the state party do? And we're, we're grappling with that. Look, here's what I think, Bob, and I've thought this for a long time in politics. A lot of these, these, these internal kind of squabbles and fights and things that we talk about, uh, you know, they make for, they make for, for good chatter and they're, they're part of the chess game of politics. But where the rubber meets the road for Republicans are the laws that we pass and the decisions we make in government. So what I'm doing is, I, as I'm perched up here in Columbus now in my new job, is I'm going to look down to the state house and look to those office holders to pass good, solid, conservative legislation. And that will ultimately be the measure. What I do and others do at the state party is one thing, but what they can ultimately do from a legislative perspective and a legal perspective is going to be what matters the most. So I'll tell you what I've done, and I've said this publicly elsewhere, and I've said it privately to all the various players. 
let's show the Republicans in this state gave us power that we can govern and we can do it in a way that is true to the principles of the party. If we do those things in the next three, four, six months, maybe we settle down some of this stuff that's going on right now with, with this divide in the House. And if we don't, then we're going to have to answer to a lot of those voters who sent us here. So for me, it's going to be to remind them of the responsibility that we have and the messaging we ran on. And, uh, you know, look, we have a platform committee here that's meeting for the, for the state party. I think we're going to need to get a nice platform so people really understand what we're about. So those are the kind of things I hope that, that can happen here in the you know, next several months to hopefully bring us back together. Because, Bob, nothing matters more than defeating Sherrod Brown and, and also keeping this state red because the country's going over a cliff under Joe Biden. And if we don't have do our role in Ohio to save it, uh, you know, we're in big trouble. Yeah, no, I agree with every word you just said, and and of course, keeping it red is a little bit. There's an operative word there, and that is red. It is in terms of the shade. You know, there's rhino red, which is a little bit lighter, and then there's conservative red, which is a deep dark red. And right now, we are much more rhino red, I'm afraid, and that's what we found out with the 22, the gang of 22 that were censured by the uh, state central committee. So, uh, Alex, great introduction. Really appreciate it. Didn't know a ton about you or how you ran things down there in with the uh, party in in Hamilton County. Last question for you, sir. Where the hell did Who Day come from? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I'm gonna I'm gonna fall down on this answer. I, you know, it's, by the way, we've been doing it before the New England, the New Orleans Saints do their Who Dad routine. I didn't know but who it was first. In the early I didn't know. Yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, Bob, we were first in Cincinnati, uh, and you know, we've got a great Ohioan leading the Cincinnati Bengals. If there's one thing that ought to unite all of us. And that is to get behind Joe Burrow, Ohioans, uh, one, of the, one, of, one great Ohioan, as he seeks to defeat the Buffalo Bills and lead us back to the Super Bowl. So uh, I appreciate the softball last question because that's, that's one I care a lot about, Bob. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm with you on that. I support Joe Burrow, too, and I'm going to support the Bengals on the way through this thing, too. I'm just not a fan of the Hootay chant. I don't know if you stole it from New Orleans or New Orleans stole it from you, but uh, but it's one of those things that just drives me bananas as a as a Northeast Ohio Browns fan. Alex Trianta. Philu, Greek word, uh, Greek surname. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll talk again very soon. Look forward to it, Bob. Thanks so much. Thank you. There you go. Alex Triantafilo. I had not met him, had not talked to him, didn't know a ton about him until he ran for uh, the uh, chairmanship of the ORP, and uh, he's the guy. Uh, I think that's a good first introduction. I think that's a good first um, agenda, if you will, that you just heard laid out by the new chair of the party, and it's so nice to not have to worry about Bob Paduchik anymore. 1127, right back. Care simple and the floor king. Okay, eleven thirty-seven. Always right, radio indeed. Great conversations all the way through today. Starting out uh, early this morning with Lisa Sticken. Listen to that one again after the show. Sometime around 1 o'clock, it should be posted at whkradio.com. John Pudner uh, joined us in the second hour talking about the document scandal at uh, the uh, 
Penn Biden Center in D.C. And then, of course, we just finished with Alex Triantafilu, who is uh, the new chairman of the Ohio Republican Party. All of those conversations are going to be available for you if you missed them or parts of them online at whkradio.com. Let's get back to the phone calls now. I want to talk to Sally, who's in Berea. Sally, thanks for waiting. You want to go all the way back to the conversation with Lisa Sticken, and I'm happy to do it. Go right ahead. Yes, hi. Um, well, first of all, I can't support in this present critical election time any anybody who has has donated to um, Democrats because it's so critical. Every seat, every every election is is absolutely necessary to try to save our country. Uh, especially the one with Tim Ryan, just the fact that Steve Weingart donated a penny to that election. We needed to keep it after Porterfield, you know, was retiring. And second, I'm willing to give Lisa a chance. I liked what she had to say. I was a little disappointed last fall in my uh, lack of response from the um, office, but I'm willing to give her a shot this time to get volunteers organized now when we need to do it, not right before the election, and uh, make a suggestion that they get some billboards up with the uh, numbers of current and yearly border crossings, put them in the cities, because the mainstream media isn't going to do that. So thanks, Bob. Well, you got it. Thank you for the call, Sally. I appreciate it. And uh, look, I, I too, was frustrated, and uh, I learned about some of those things about not being available, some of the yard signs and the phones being off. People aren't getting responses from call, for, uh, when they made phone calls to try to support certain candidates in those. And I know that. But I would tell you this, uh, based on things that I have learned. Uh, a lot of that stuff was not the fault of the current leadership. There were, particularly the, uh, when it comes to the, uh, the funds, uh, you know, the accounts being very, very low. They were spending a ton of money when they had their, uh, offices downtown, around $4,000 a month, I'm told. That had to get ended in order to be able, and then of course they found the new location in Broadview Heights, which not everybody was thrilled with for whatever reason. So there, there were definitely some growing pains as the transition kind of happened uh, into the current leadership. But I don't think, in my opinion, just my opinion, I don't think those are things that can't be fixed, can't be overcome, and probably already have been. I think um, I think the reality is that there were some changes, uh, some uh, transitions, I guess, if you will, that kind of caused some problems that are fixable. Uh, and whether it's fixable under the current leadership or somebody else takes over, and we'll have to see how the situation plays itself out. But I'm sure all of those things will get resolved. Uh, as to your comments about uh, donations to Democrats, I said them to Lee yesterday directly, man to man. I agree. I don't like do- do- people that donating to Democrats. You donate. You donate to a Tim Ryan three thousand. Now he was very quick to say, "Well, it was all during the primary. It wasn't against JD Vance at that time. It was just during the primary." And I was trying and laboring to say, "Yeah, but if you give Tim Ryan three thousand dollars during the primary." That's $3,000 he doesn't have to spend of his existing funds during that primary. And those funds then go to the general campaign against J.D. Vance or whoever the Republican was going to be at that point in time. So you give him money. It's money he has. Whether he uses it during the primary or he uses it during the general is irrelevant. It's money he has. And if he uses it during the primary, then that's money that he didn't have to spend now, right? And now he can spend it against the Republicans. So I've got a problem with donating to Democrats, particularly with the entire uh, uh, balance of power in the Senate and the Congress in the balance. I mean, can you imagine 
if this was uh, 52-48 now instead of 51-49 because we somehow let in a red state like Ohio Tim Ryan win and we have Tim Ryan and Sherrod Brown as our two representatives in the Senate? Imagine that. That would be a disaster for us. It would be a disaster for the country. So I don't like that. I, I told Lee that to his, to, uh, to his man-to-man, voice-to-voice yesterday. Roz in Cleveland next. Hi, Roz, go ahead. Hello, Bob. Yes, I will say that a lot of the problems that Lisa's having stem way back. Um, yesterday, I was on the fence. Today, I'm not. Lisa convinced me. I am moving very shortly into an area that needs a precinct committee person, and I have um, asked that someone no, uh, nominate me. But this problem of not getting out to, shall we say, the rank-and-file Republicans has to be addressed. You want funds? Sure. There's a lot of us out here who can't be $1,000 donors, but we sure as heck can be $20, $25, $30 donors. Right. But the Central Committee has become a good old boys club, which I'm planning on joining. Uh, <laughs> but. There's Get new blood, though. Just just to be people. clear, though, you know that in the recent elections, there were, there was a lot of new blood. The reformers kind of came in, which is why I think Bob Paduchek saw the writing on the wall, that the good old boys club was kind of dead, that the no, no, new, new blood that was coming local, in. Oh, you mean I'm just the, you mean the Cuyahoga Central County? Community. Okay, you mean the Cuyahoga Central right. Committee. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Right. I'm telling you, you go to those meetings, or at least when I was on the Central Committee before, mm-hmm. I did step back. I was pissed that bad. Um, when I was on it before, it was the old age home group, uh, coffee hour. We have to get young blood in there. Now, that's coming from a 69-year-old woman. We need young blood. And I don't see it being reached out. We need more inner city. We're not reaching out. I think both of those things we are true. We, 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 we do, now, and as a, as a party, big picture, and sp- and thank you for the call. I've got to go here, Roz. Thanks to the, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, in addition to the uh, the local or the county level, like you're talking about, you're right. New blood is needed. How about that? New blood. Preferably younger, yes, but you're right. We do need uh, a lot of new faces and new energy uh, to be brought into the party. I agree, at the county level and beyond. Uh, that's all the time that I've got for today. I'm going to use the last 20 seconds here or 10 seconds saying listen to Talk and Smack tonight. Make sure if you get on Facebook or Twitch, you listen to Jack Windsor and I as we talk to Dr. David Utlack about the rash of people dropping over with cardiac events after these shots. That's tonight on Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack, and I'll see you tomorrow right here.